0: This is a broadcast from Salmon Coast Field Station. I'm your host, Claire Atkinson. Salmon Coast is a non-profit field station and a hub for coastal research, located in the territories of the Kwiq'wetsut'inux Haq'wamis First Nation. We can be found deep in the Broughton Archipelago, near Echo Bay, British Columbia. Salmon Coast supports innovative research public education, community outreach, and ecosystem awareness to achieve lasting conservation measures for the lands and waters of the Broughton Archipelago and surrounding areas. The 20-year anniversary of Salmon Coast's Wild Salmon Monitoring Program was an opportunity to appreciate the passionate people who are part of our vibrant research community. In this podcast series, I talk with both scientists and artists about their experiences at Salmon Coast and the exciting projects they're working on now. In this episode, I speak with Jay White, a talented and accomplished interdisciplinary artist, activist, and assistant professor at Emily Carr University in Squamish Territory. Jay has done residencies at Salmon Coast, collaborating with sound artist Jenny Shine on a project titled Field Guides for Listeners, which includes a graphic novel he is writing and illustrating. Jay works in a variety of forms, including animated film, interactive performance art, and gallery installation to explore powerful ideas and stories about how we relate to the natural world. Here we discuss the amazing suite of projects he has on the go, the ideas he developed at Salmon Coast, and how love and care are essential means for positive change I in this world. I wanted to know kind of what you're up to now, like what you're working on these days.
1: Uh, well, so I'm a still an artist as I was when I was up there, and <laughs> but I'm now teaching full time at Emily Carr, so I have a little bit less time to do art, but I do I teach a lot about environmental ethics and what it is to be an artist in this time and what kind of art is important to be making which maybe is less about um like commercial products if, if 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 it's possible not do that kind of work but instead be uh dealing with some of the very urgent things that we have going on with climate change and falling out of biodiversity and uh systemic racism that people are finally coming to understand um, more people are white people are understanding more fully like those it seems to me that that political aspect is an activist or whatever you want to call it is is should be as much a part of art as anything these days so that's what i'm doing just generally a lot of that's mm-hmm. in teaching now but i'm also still working on this graphic novel <laughs> it's so crazy
0: you're i guess like you've kind of got your work cut out for you i was going to ask you if you are like thinking about things down the road, like things you want to work on, like future projects, but I guess your head's really in what you're doing right now. Do you even think about things that far down the road?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I think like my work right now, I've actually been thinking about my practice as an artist right now has been so as anti-racist work at Emily Carr. Like there's so much, uh, there's so much need for change there. Mm -hmm. So it, it feels like my, I don't I'm not holding on to being an artist Um, like I know I'll just I'll make art when when it happens but my creative practice right now is like structurally changing the university (laughs) (laughs) and like really um, which is risky and and interesting and it involves like rallying with students and and like a lot of meetings um, really really intense meetings and putting myself out there and so that's like, it's a project for sure. It's really, it's a big, important one. It has a lot of impact. Yeah. Um, and I'm also working with four other artists here in Howe Sound, Atul Kitsum, um, which is, so I live on, on in Nefralichum, which is Bowen Island mm-hmm. in Squamish territory. And so Howe Sound or Atul is like the big, the, the main waterway that goes up um, from here to Squamish. And uh, we're, we just started a project where we're, it's, it's going to be a years-long project just to understand the ocean, the health of this sound. And wow. uh, mostly sound-wise, like one of the people is a sound artist. Um, there's lots of stuff here about tanker traffic. Like they want to put in a big LNG tanker farm here. And there's orcas. And there's, there used to be a lot of pulp mills and stuff in this area, but it's gone. And so the, the area is really regenerating. I'm not super interested in like really quickly getting in and doing a project and like um, just in and out. Um, this is where I live. And so I, I feel like this will be my, this is maybe my a lifetime of work. And the first thing I need to do is just, is be way more acquainted with Suquamish culture and just understand, like, that's the research I need to be doing right now, is just understand the territory I live on. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is going to be, that's a lifetime of work because how do we know what kind of work to make here? And uh, so that's where I'm, that's what I'm doing right now it's always going to be protecting the water and the land. Like that's, that's been my calling forever, basically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can tell.
1: Yeah. Which is why Salmon Coast was so into a lot.
0: Yeah. So with the, with the work you're doing, are you interested in using like hydrophones?
1: Uh, Yeah, we're using hydrophones. We're doing some incredible sound recordings, like uh, underwater sound recordings. And uh, I think one of the things that we're thinking, the directions we might go is, giving ourselves like a false corporate name. And uh, so we're like a, kind of like a resource, like like uh, taking on the identity of a, of a resource extraction company and giving ourselves like hats and stuff, but talking about something different than, than the land as a resource. It was like art, what would art look like if it was science or something? So we're thinking about doing like these sort of like spot tests of like going to certain places and getting like doing samples and like recording the water Just like being an intermediary for the for the land or something, I don't know. That's so cool. Yeah, so it'll be like somehow pretty tongue in cheek, I think. Just like getting pictures of ourselves wearing these uniforms, like with our with the our Mm. microphone up and like just recording a tree (laughs) or something like that. I really like that. (laughs) And then writing something that sounds kind of scientific (laughs) about what we discovered or something.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I've often felt doing field work, like, that is part of a scientific project, I often feel if someone was filming me from a distance, it would look like I was doing some, like, performance art piece because some of the things you do while you're sampling are so strange and obscure. Like, there are these, like, super important things that you're careful about for, like, cross-contamination, but from a distance, it just looks like this bizarre very choreographed movement
1: yeah yeah totally yeah maybe that's the kind of the thing what would be interesting in doing in posing as like some kind of corporate like engineering Mm -hmm. professionals or something like that is going like well what is what kind of other important work like aside from things that you're doing which are really honestly like you know getting data um what kind of other data is there that that we can also like pretend or actually is important somehow yeah. Um, and then like, but actually make that seem more serious than it than it actually is in some way. I don't know. Have a good yeah. sense of humor about it, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, I like the, the idea of kind of like questioning what it is that data even is because there's somehow like often this qualifying thing when you call something data, it's kind of in the eye of the beholder almost what you call data or not.
1: Yeah, totally. And I mean, like stories are, it's all stories, right? It's all data. Mm-hmm. And um, I think you and I talked about this actually. An indigenous story, which is a history of the land or a story about relationships, uh, that shouldn't take any less priority than uh, than any kind of measurement, right?
0: Yeah, there's kind of like sometimes, I think, for people like a hierarchy of how information is classified, but it's all just information about the world.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I was gonna ask with the with the anti-racist work you're doing at Emily Carr like do you see that as the the change needs to be cultural or are you kind of focusing on like bureaucratic changes?
1: Um, I think it's uh, I'm focusing on both but I think it's um, at the uh, at the heart of it it has to be I think there's lots of things that need to happen but I think the heart of it is a cultural change Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's like it's just about how to sit in complexity, um, how to understand that they're acknowledge that there are differences and levels of, of privilege. Um, and that's like, yeah, sure. You can change like the, you know, at make policies and things like that, but it's not going to change the way people feel about each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it comes down to like, it's all connected. Like I, I really feel like, well, I, I don't feel like I, I'm, I know that if we can't, love each other this is something i remember i think i might have told you this like i was on this walk i used to do these random walks um called walking east they were like just sort of like totally random flipping coins walks and i was like camping in the woods or like in a park in coquitlam and just i spent i ended up spending a lot of time in the bush actually but in suburbs Um, so in these weird kind of like interstitial kind of junk bush areas and i remember like i was camping and it was in a river, by a river in Coquitlam. And then I came out and I just spent this beautiful time. There was a bear there that overnight and all this stuff. And I came out and uh, was just like straight into a, like 10 feet away from where I camped was a Starbucks parking lot. And it was really busy. And there was like a, this old woman was walking down in the parking lot. And uh, this guy in his big truck was like, like drove up and just like stopped and like was so angry at her and, and yelled at her and swore at her. And I just like, and I, I just remember thinking, and I, I if we can't even learn to love and care for each other, if we can't even learn to have compassion for some a, a fellow member of our species that looks exactly like us, and even in this case like speaks the same language, how are we ever going to have compassion for salmon, mm. or orcas, or or trees that don't look anything like us? Like we have to learn to love each other. Like we have to start at that. Um, Or we're never going to get to the part of um, loving and really uh, feeling close to all the other living things that we coexist with, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why it feels like anti-racist work is also, um, and and that's like missing and murdered Indigenous women. It's the same thing. Like you're, it's it's also about, it's also about land. It's also about water. It's about the safety of our planet. And you're killing people um, who are, the spokespeople and the people who are from, who are part of that land. It's um, so it's all tied up in, in, in all those things. Right.
0: Yeah. And human relationships are kind of like, like just one example of all the relationships that we have.
1: Yeah, totally. And you know, you would think that it would be the easiest, the easiest one, (laughs) but it's uh, yeah. So I think doing work about human building, human relationships and helping people understand how to love each other, is really fundamental to um, land and water, ecological health, et cetera. This woman that I, this woman, Jody Holmes, that I I do a lot of like um, sort of group processing work with, um, mm-hmm. she actually was one of the, um, helped uh, put bring about the stuff that preserved the Great Bear Rainforest. So mm-hmm. she was like a big, she's been an eco-warrior activist for years, for decades. And she got into, she actually stopped doing it and got into doing um Interhuman, like personal, like somatic wow. conflict resolution slash therapy modalities. Because she just realized in the meetings she was having with these big corporate stakeholders and stuff, she's like, people don't even know how to talk to each other. So that's, I hear it from her too. She's like, this is how we can, this is her way of saving the world or trying to do something is by help making people understand how to be with each other.
0: That's very, yeah. very interesting.
1: There's something, yeah, I don't know. I, I think there's something about Salmon Coast actually that's in a really interesting place too with like s- intermediary between science and uh, fostering relationships with the, uh, the nations there and bringing in other, you know, cultural workers as well. Like it's a very, it's in it, it does that work too, right? I think mm-hmm. like it's not just a scientific, in my mind, it's not just a scientific research station. It, it has the potential to be an intermediary it's in a place where the nations like are in direct contact. Right. And um, so I don't know, it seems like it's a, there's an intercultural kind of exchange. That's really important there.
0: Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, room to kind of explore that, like how that can take shape. Mm -hmm. So getting to Samico. So can you just talk a little bit about when you were here and what you were doing?
1: Yeah. So I came up with Jenny Shine and we had proposed and uh, artist residency uh, Jenny did a series of audio recordings and uh, so it was just like recording almost like not like a reporter but as like someone who's just like witnessing how science is trying to understand that place um, and that was like the very specific way that we were kind of looking at it is like we're going we're in here um, thinking about how, how do scientists talk about this place how do they come to Um, there's the field recordings and there's all that data collection which is really important Um, but we also want to get to like the heart of like what what do they what what is the intention behind that Um, what is the their appreciation of this place kind of and so yeah it involved going out with sea licing, it involved going out with stream walking we did lots of recordings lots of interviews with everybody I think it's about for me it's about like okay how to how to make this into a story like it was um, research for a story is what I would say. And I think the story is still unfolding for me, but I think it has to do with um, the humanity behind science and the hope that people have. I'm going to get emotional now <laughs> thinking about your Good. story with Good. the, with the professor, right. but like the hope that people have, but also amidst uh, a lot of, um, like potential disaster or catastrophe or loss um and i think that's i think that seems to be the story that's unfolding is like how do people work in under these conditions the people who know the most closely what um you know aside from indigenous people like who understand the implications of some of, the, of the, the loss of biodiversity or of a population and who are witnessing that and how do you keep doing that work where's the there is obviously care there. And, um, and I think that's the story.
0: Mm.
1: So I feel like it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost like when I hear about people making documentaries, it's a documentary graphic novel, right? Basically. It's like what I hear about when people make documentaries, you go with an idea and then you just start asking questions and see what starts to unfold. Mm. Um, And then the other thing about it that I've, that I've wanted to incorporate is other than human perspectives like there's a pretty good section of this, which is about just like sea lice and what, what would see, what would we like to be like sea lice or like a salmon and that kind of thing, which I think to me is a part of that, um, the anti-racist stuff that we were talking about too, it's going like embracing complexity. Like what about if salmon are a culture and a, a very complex organism that is, that has, you know, families that live in streams and they might not see it that way, but if we start to imagine things like that and, and really see like the, the absolute genius and miracle of every every animal, um, that it, it also I think for me that engenders a kind of love and um an appreciation that I would I, I think people could embrace.
0: And breaking down the othering that tends to happen with non-human persons.
1: Yeah. It's like the more you know about somebody, the more you start to understand they're like you, right? And I, and uh, I don't know if it's the same with other species, but there's something for sure. I find at least when, yeah, when you learn a lot about another species, you're just like, wow, this is like, how does it do this? And it's like a little, it's like a little miracle. Um, I think there is something, yeah, I don't, does it break down othering or is it just like understanding how precious it is or something? I don't know.
0: Mm.
1: What are, What are your thoughts?
0: I I guess I see it. I probably see it from more like the precious perspective because I feel like one thing that is always really impressed upon me is like the evolutionary perspective. You have to understand what it has taken to get salmon to a point where they have this incredibly fine-tuned, I guess, like intuition for how to home to their streams. Mm -hmm. Then like all their interactions, like the fact that they've been fertilizing forests For like thousands of years and they've just been like slowly incorporated into all the biomass around the rivers and all the bears kind of like exist they like they literally are salmon in a certain way because they're like ingesting these molecules and then like their own bodies are made of salmon and i just like that kind of network um to me is so exciting
1: yeah yeah it's incredible
0: um, were there any, like, were there any memories, like specific moments or parts of the sampling that y- you think about a lot that kind of come back to you?
1: Uh, oh boy. Yeah. Um, sure. There's tons. I just remember, uh, going out to, I can't remember if it was like the name of the place. It's one of the closer ones where they would go sea lysing. Um, oh. well, it's just kind of like straight out so it's yeah further out in those that beautiful cove um it was those beautiful rocky islands and just just looking for any juvenile salmon um and only seeing like a few dozen in little spots and the feeling in the boat um and roger uh what's what's i can't remember roger's last name roger who lives in uh in the village up the up the guise dams
0: yeah
1: um he was there too and we, it was just quiet and it was like there's kind of a little bit of frustration, I think, from sort of the scientific perspective about data collection and like, oh, we're not even it's going to be a zero here. But um, also just like thinking back to like Roger talking about the stories he had of like their, you know, just being thick with juvenile salmon or of um, of Chris and uh, Jenny, who had talked a lot with uh, Billy Proctor who had been there for, for decades and them saying like, Billy would just dip, said he could just dip his hat in the water and pull out and just be filled with juvenile salmon. So just like witnessing that, if you just went there, you'd be like, oh, look, there's fish. But understanding that, that long-term perspective, which is so important, um, and maybe actually gets, a, it, you know, you might not even see that in the data because those are stories too, right? Like just going like, this is like almost like a dead area. So that was something that was just like kind of heartbreaking. Mm. Then also walking to when we were up, I can't remember the other place that uh, there's a collection point that's further to the East. That's got, there's really Rocky Valley on either side. It's by a salmon farm. And we went in, do you know the place I'm talking about?
0: It might be Glacier.
1: Yeah. Glacier maybe. Yeah.
0: It's got that Rocky face.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then we went and um, went out and went up past that big, the big cedar tree in there. Do you know the place?
0: Yes. Yeah. The, the really, really old cedar tree.
1: Yeah. And just walking up and the, just the awe of this tree. And as you're saying, like the, like everybody, it's this incredible thing, you know, like everybody is, everybody is, you know, in their science heads and everybody's a professional in different ways and has all these different perspectives and personalities and ego. And I can just, you can feel all that. And then, like you come up to this tree and it just quiets everybody. Like the feeling where everybody just falls silent and there's something happening. That's um, that is like all the ego is gone. And everybody just is in awe of this, of this being. Right. And and also of this with the, the knowledge that this being is an accumulation of all of these nutrients and is a product of like all of the salmon that have moved through there. And this like you know the hundred centuries of of life it's just an incredible thing so yeah that oh there's like i have that as one of the pictures i don't know where it is but that's one of the pages hmm. um yeah and, and I would also say like this, it's so funny because there's the education and understanding is so important because people could go through there and be like, wow, this is untouched. Like, wow, I'm in the wilderness. And like, first off, not understanding that they're in like, in nations, in very complex, um, highly technologically advanced, you know, incredible cultures um, in that territory, but also that it is, it's not untouched, right? That what's happening, you just, without those the stories and without understanding um, a long-term in like engaged relationship with the place uh, you just don't know that, that there is a sickness.
0: Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 And you, you could come here and, and like kind of believe that it's still like brimming with biodiversity. And if you didn't like hear the stories of the past, you wouldn't realize like there were, there were many many people who lived here many many fish and whales and birds that lived here that like no longer do really like the this is kind of like a shadow in a way
1: yeah of what yeah it's weird here. actually one other thing that just came to my mind that it was really important up there as an image yeah, yeah. and a memory was that um the the uh occupation of
0: mm. was
1: swanson of, of some of the farms was happening yeah. at the time. Yeah, And uh, so we went out and, and delivered stuff to them a couple of times. And it was weird because it was like, it had to be kind of unofficial that that right. was happening. Yeah. Um, and there was a, a really incredible gathering at, I think it was Swanson. I don't know if that's the name of it.
0: I think it was Swanson. At, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it was really great. Like David Suzuki came out, the elders. Oh, it was so cool. like <laughs> Elders came, came and chiefs came from down the coast from, from I think even you know, up from Bella Coola even, or Bella Bella, like, there was a gathering of chiefs there, an incredible, like, uh, show of support and solidarity, um, and allyship between these nations, who were like, yeah, we fought, we have fought, (laughs) you know, we have been at war in our histories, but we're here together, and it was just like, you know, and David Suzuki spoke as well, which is from another, he like, Western cultural perspective, and how long had
0: they been camping there at that point?
1: A long time, uh, weeks, it was, it was, I don't know, if not months, I can't remember.
0: That was incredible. I wanted to talk about why for you in your stories that you tell, non-human life is so important. I mean, you're talking about how now, like kind of human relations, like human-human relations are feeling like a new focus for you. But in the past, you've really, really focused on uh, non-human life, how people interact with non-humans. I guess I wanted to talk about like, why, why that's such a focus for you?
1: Like, why is that important to me? Um, I'm just like looking outside my window right now. I'm on Bowen Island and I'm looking out at the, um, just at the trees. And when you're asking that question and whew, I don't know, it's just been, um, it's, it's my calling. Um, Ever since I was a kid, I would, I would prefer to be in the woods. I would draw animals um, and uh, feel a sense of healing, feel healed and rest, rested um, amongst the trees. (laughs) And uh, unlike, um, and, um, and so it's, I think it's just like a, a very deep, deep understanding of of Mother Earth as uh, as our mother and as the place where we come from, our teacher and our the the womb that we rest in, that's nurtured and cared for us all this time. And I, that wouldn't be the language I would have used along you know when I was a kid. But it's like just this this feeling of um, of of love for that, like of deep appreciation a friend of mine, actually, it's Jody, Jody Holmes, that person who does that work um, often talks about feelings in our body being like, it can, you can think that it's just you. um, Mm -hmm. And I can go, Oh, I'm so sad and blah, blah, blah. But we also carry, we carry a history with us too. Right. And we also carry feelings that are held in our, in, in the world and in society. And I just have this uh, deep sense of love mixed with uh, grief that's like so much that if I start talking about it, I feel like I'm going to explode. Like it's, um, and I've always, I've always felt that like, it's just my, my heart explodes with love and care for this world.
0: Has it deepened throughout your life? Do you feel like it's deeper now because of what you know, like you've learned more about the world and what's happening in it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like Um, I think so. I think the grief has deepened. The love is the same as it has always been. And I I can better articulate why those things are important and the urgency of things a little bit.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Do you feel like, because I I guess one thing that we we talked a lot about when we talked before was kind of grief. And that seems to be... Um, a feeling we share, like I, I also feel pre- like I, I don't know, I guess now I feel like the two go hand in hand, like where I used to have this just like unbridled love and admiration and wonder for things. It's now very, very closely attached to feelings of loss. And on the one hand, I find that yeah. difficult, but on the one hand it kind of feels like it's deepened the whole my whole understanding. But I don't know, I guess, like, I guess I've, I'm wondering, like, if you feel like that grief has changed over time, like, you've, you've kind of been sitting with this for a long time now.
1: Right. I don't know. Actually, I wonder if I could, can, can we turn it into a, can I put it back on you too? Yes. And we can turn this yes. into a conversation of,
0: yes, please. So
1: do you, let me ask you, I'll, I'll get back to it, but I'm curious about you. Like, we talked about this last time, and yeah, how do you feel like it is for you? How is, yeah, where, where are you sitting with it all right now?
0: I guess like, I'm, I'm just in this, I, it's kind of like this feeling of like, I know I'm going to be engaged with this future that I'm going towards for a long time. And I can like, I've seen the changes yeah. that have been happening like ecologically around me in my lifetime. And I know that that's going to continue. And I know that that's going to be important to me. And it feels so much more complicated than I thought it was going to be, you know, like, it doesn't, it doesn't happen for me on just one plane, almost like, I understand it, like, technically, emotionally, politically. I don't know. Like, I guess I've realized that it's not as if there's going to be like one silver bullet that I do that is the like reaction I have to this feeling. It's like, it has, it's going to be this like kind of complete thing where like every part of my life is going to be influenced.
1: Yeah. Do you feel like galvanized? Is it, is it like, uh, well, I remember you saying when we talked last time that it, uh, the thing that you took away from the conversation with your professor is that it, well, we talked about this a lot, that it changes things to know that you are um, dealing with uh, like memorializing or dealing with a situation that's not going to go back or whether it's like, you know, with your professor, is like an extinct species, basically. Yeah. Um, like, how does that change things? And maybe yeah. this is a question that I, maybe this is, we'll get to my, yeah how do you sit with that do you still can you accept that do you are you able to sit in that or is that too hard to live with
0: I think I have to live with it because to not live with it feels like it would be like um I don't know like it would be it would be so untrue and yeah to be honest like the memorializing part I I have to be honest I found it kind of calming almost because it's it's been like it's similar to how i've you know like like we're all kind of going through this like like global moment of like really talking about anti-racist work and i feel like i feel a similar thing about that where like it's not even about what i do like this week or like today or this hour it's like about what i do for the rest of my life this is not going to be something that I deal with and I complete that dealing with. It's going to be something that is like something I do every day, every week, every month, every year for the rest of my life. And yeah. and so I find that calming because it's, it's not – it doesn't have to be finished. I know it's not going to be finished ever. And I think that for me that's really – comforting and when you were talking about like the scientific work the interesting thing about the scientific work especially like long-term monitoring is it's kind of this like almost this like ritualistic meditation on that because you're doing the same monitoring every year you're going back to the same stream every year Mm -hmm. and you just are like it's this expression of dedication to that like that idea that you care about this it's like an embodiment of that and returning to that every day that you walk a stream and count the fish, you are practicing that commitment and, and yeah, I guess, like, because I, I know that, that I, I can only kind of like do the work that's possible, like within my own little life. Um, I kind of, I, I feel like I just have to focus on those practices.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. and Nice way of saying it. And I think that the fieldwork part, what you're like, this return every year is like meditative and it's also like an act of it's, it's being a steward, right? Like it's, it's the new to think about it, not just as science, but like um, if like merging sort of indigenous or, and scientific perspectives like it's being a caretaker um yeah i mean i'd like to think that like a, a century from now we're still um if there's if there's you know it that people are still going out there and calling it what it call it whatever they want. Maybe it's something, you know, indigenous and scientific, whatever there was a different term, but it's like we go out and this is how we watch the streams is that yes. we do these things and we have, we have a century of research and it's a practice yeah. of like, I know I, I became a stream walker. Actually, this is sort of another interesting thing that's happened from salmon coast oh. is after I left there and learned about stream counting, I started, um, I'm now, uh, I, I when I can, I do, I help out with the counts where I grew up in Abbotsford, like where I went to high school and elementary school. And, um, it's an act of care and of like a relationship with a place. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think there's uh, it's being a steward and, yeah. uh, and a watch. And, and I think that doing that those counts too, like you're not just out taking data, you're actually seeing the changes too. Right. Yeah. So, and the streamwalkers witnessing. are often the people who are the first ones who see. Oh my God! There's like some spill or something like that. They're also watching the streams, so I think there's a uh, there's something really beautiful in that. And you're right; it's it's uh, it's so beautiful. I love how you said that. That it's not just going to be finished. It's it's a daily thing, and it's also intergenerational. Like we have to pass. This has to be passed on.
0: Yeah.
1: And the things that came before us need to be passed on to us as well, like the knowledge of these places. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah, one thing really nice.
0: one thing that Emma like I Emma's just finished, well, she's finishing this report on salmon populations in the Broughton and it's quite a large scientific report, but one of the big takeaways is that the monitoring effort from the Department of Fisheries and Oceans has gone way down and something that we were talking about is that if like if a stream, if there aren't salmon in a stream, then the DFO is likely to stop monitoring it. And I I can't get that idea out of my head. For some reason, there's something about the idea that like, because there's no, like if if salmon, of certain population of salmon become extinct in a stream, you would stop monitoring that stream and i i deeply feel that it would be important to continue walking that stream like even if there were not salmon there there's something i find i feel very strongly about that that even if a population went extinct it would be so important to keep walking that stream as like as like a memorial and a memory of the fact that like there were salmon here and and like it's possible that one day they'll come back and we need to kind of like keep this as like as something to signify that like in the present that this this happened
1: it's almost more important to walk it because that's a stream that's sick Mm -hmm. and um so it's not like if you it's like if you're a nurse or a caretaker and then you have uh this you have a patient who is really unwell, you don't close the door on them and walk away. Like all yeah. the more reason to be paying attention to that place because yeah. you're right. And then what happens then is that becomes just a place on a map um, that it has, no, that there is no more care and attention to. And then you get like a logging company comes in and it's like, Oh yeah, there's nothing here anymore. Yeah. Um, which isn't, yeah. So it's, or yeah, or you really, look at like really all nice. of
0: Vancouver, like the fact that Vancouver used to be like full of salmon streams and right by my house in east van there's a park called china creek park that's named after a salmon stream and it's so i don't know it's just so interesting to me that like like those streams still exist like they're still there they're just covered up i and that idea to me feels interesting that like there's something so um resilient about this place that like it like that stream is still running underwater it's just been paved over on top but like it does actually still exist in a certain way
1: yeah yeah and the more you forget it the more um it just is uh colonized right it's just it's a city now and like some of the only ways of remembering those places is because there happens to be a couple parks with that name right yeah And like, and they flow down into what was a huge or is, I don't know what you call it, like a a huge salt marsh that would go all the way up to Clark drive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like imagine all the biodiversity in there. Yeah. And, uh, I'm with you. Like, I want to remember that too. And I always think about the crows that fly over that, like Mm -hmm. the crows that go from out at Willingdon, what's it called? Steel Creek is kind of the area. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really incredible because it's another for me it's like another movement of animals but they they they're not uh rendered extinct but they've been there for a long time and i often think about like they have these roots that go and one of them is right up false creek and right up over what would have been the, the salt marsh right over the flats there yeah. um where new Emily car is. And I just think, wow, like they have, they have not forgotten. <laughs> and I guess, you know, you could say, Oh, it's the railway tracks that they follow, but there was a Creek that went all the way up there that would have always been a source of food. Yeah. And um, so that's, that's another one of those, like, yeah. So I guess like when you're asking me, how do I sit with all this? Like, it's really good. Cause I, I think I, I put out of my head, I don't think I've got it in my head as much as you that, um, and I think that's why I said to you last time too, like I have so much hope when I talk to you because your perspective is more, you grew up in this loss. When I, when I grew up, it was like extinction was kind of a, like
0: you know, oh. some animals
1: are going extinct and it was a very yeah. different thing. Um, I think I have a harder time getting my head around that um, and accepting it. Um, but when I hear you talk about it, I, um, it 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 actually like it makes it gives me a sense of peace to know. Like I said this to you last time, to know there are people like you who are grappling with the complexity of this, and that it's, um, and that you understand the longevity of it, and that it's not it's a way of being that's not just a single action to take. And I think that's what I have to remind myself because I I tend to um, want to be like a, a fighter. I want to just like find the battle. And, mm-hmm. and a very black and white, like win the fight. Um, but I, and I think that's kind of what's coming up for me. I'm, I'm slowly learning that, like with applicants and what I was which I was talking about before, which is that like, this isn't a project that's going to, it's not just about shooting down this LNG tanker project. It's mm-hmm. about being a steward. It's, this is a lifetime of work. Even if that project's gone, more will come. Mm-hmm. So how do, how do I sit in this place? in a good way that is like being a being vigilant somehow mm-hmm. so that's a word I like steward is a word that I think about a lot vigilance is a word mm-hmm. um and uh yeah and and there's also just this dealing with this sense of like uh, my nervous system having a sense of urgency I wish I could kind of I could confront that and yeah. I think when I hear you talking I, I feel like there's a solution to that which is that um it's not about in the day a daily effort it's it's also about resting in the fact that it's just a lifetime of being of doing things in a certain way
0: you've been listening to a broadcast from salmon coast field station this podcast was produced by amy kamarinen and myself claire atkinson for more information about Salmon Coast, please visit salmoncoast.org. For more on Jay White and Jenny Shine's residency at Salmon Coast, you can visit fieldguidesforlisteners.ca. And to learn more about Jay's abundant work, visit his website, draworbedrawn.com. Thanks for listening.